Good morning. The children, as you know. <laughs> Speaking of, since we're gaining more children and we want to make sure we have a count for all of them, just a reminder to sign your kids in so that we know some kids down there, we don't know who the parents are. So it'd be nice to know who you are and who your child is so that we can make sure they get right back to you and be in prayer for those down there. As you know, it is sometimes there's four or five people with 20 kids and we know they need God's strength, amen? So Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that are helping in the basement today and all the kids that are there. I thank you that Lord God, your word is living and active and as these children learn about you and your love for them, that Father God, you would just watch over them, guard them, protect them. Lord, bless those that are serving in our community, serving in this place. And we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it endures forever. So, Father, as we get into the word now, I just ask that you would open our hearts to it. We would be moved, changed, convicted, challenged. But that, Father, we would know that we can rest in you, and that we can do all things through you who give us strength when we aim to live our life to glorify you. So, Father, I ask that you would guard my lips, that you would bless this time. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you look at your bulletin, you'll see the word on there today is faith. Like I said, we have taken a small detour during this season. We're going to cover some things but and get back into Romans in January, mostly, although we will be diving into it from time to time. But today I want to talk about faith because it's important. Last week we talked about hope, but I want to tell a couple stories about what is the, what is the people who have had a, effective faith in their life where we get to see God moving and working, and then what are some signs of ineffective faith, our faith that is weak or not producing the things that we want? How, what are the signs of that, and how do we get out of it? I don't know about you, but a lot of the times we think that our emotions dictate a lot of how we are and where we stand with God. How many of you know that your emotions can get you in trouble, right? Can you really trust them? No. But thank God we got a guide to navigate them and to know, right? We have the plumb line, if you will, to line our life up, to know that when we put our trust in him and our faith in him, he will not disappoint. There was a woman named William Rudolph. She lived from 1940 to 1994. She weighed four and a half pounds at birth and as a child endured scarlet fever and pneumonia, only to contract polio at the age of five. She had infantile paralysis, she was basically paralyzed, left her unable to walk without a brace until she was 12 years old. But buried inside Wilma was a fierce determination to not just walk unhindered, but to run. And run she did. Over a period of several years, she lost every race she entered, but when she began to win, eventually earning a bronze medal at the 1956 Olympics, followed by three gold medals, at the 1960 Olympics, after which Rudolph was dubbed the fastest woman ever. William retired at the height of her career shortly after the 1960 Olympics. And that's just an amazing story. Another one is uh, a Frances Jane Crosby, known as Fanny. She was from Brewster, New York, blinded as an infant due to a doctor's error. At eight, Crosby's opening line of her first poem read, Oh, what a happy child I am although I cannot see. God gifted Fanny with an irre ir 
repressible spirit and ex excellent memory. By 10, she could recite the first four books of the Old Testament, as well as the Gospels. Fanny went on to write over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs over 51 years and was known as the queen of the gospel songwriters. By the end of the 19th century, she was known throughout the country. Crosby was also a missionary, a teacher, a poet, an author, having published four books of poetry and two autobiographies. Classic Crosby tunes include songs such as Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Blessed Assurance, and To God Be the Glory, a song that includes a line which sums up Crosby's life, great things he has done. That's just one of the other stories. And a recent one was a bookkeeper, Antoinette Tuff, who was depressed and hurting when she showed up for work August 20th, 2013, at McNair School in Atlanta. Her husband of 33 years had recently left her, and she was struggling to adjust as a single mom. When Michael Hill barged into the school at 1 p.m., he came to kill, but instead he encountered Antoinette, who used the power of God's love to save a 1,000 students and staff and the life of one desperate, broken soul. As Hill held her as hostage, Tuff talked compassionately to him and realized that he was bipolar and had stopped taking his medicine. Antoinette finally convinced Michael to let the police come and take him to the hospital, and he surrendered peacefully. On an ordinary summer day, Antoinette became an accidental hostage negotiator and a hero. Later on the news, she said, God has, all, has a way of showing you what you really are in trials. And those are testimonies of people who trusted the Lord. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to look at some of the key traits that show up when we have in, ineffective faith. Some of the things that take place when God is tarrying too long to do something that we have prayed for. I don't know about you, but do you think it's harder to be patient today than it was maybe 20, 30 years ago? I think it is. Why? Because we're used to everything instantly. But what do we do when it says, be patient, wait upon the Lord, right? There's a waiting, there's, a, there's something that happens when we're patient. It, it puts us in a place that we come to an end of ourselves, and we're, we're not going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to trust him. If we're, I'm going to try to go through a lot of scripture, so bear with me. But as we go through it, the Lord... Uh, has, was working on Abraham and Sarah. And if you remember, I even mentioned it last, last week. Sarah says to Abraham, remember the, the promise that he would be the father to many nations. And so Sarah was like, hey, this is taking too long. But if you look in 16, verses 2, she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, back then, heritage and family was everything. Your lineage was everything. But if you notice, her attitude has changed. She says, God has kept me. In other words, they were old, and it didn't seem possible. Scientifically, it wasn't going to happen. Obviously, God must have something else, and maybe he wants me to take the reins and make something happen. But we see a little bit of her attitude here. It says, perhaps I can build a family through her. I. I can do it. And instead of waiting on God, she took matters into her own hand, and we already know where that story goes. That's just one example. So what happens is we become impatient, trying to fulfill God's promises through our personal efforts, not waiting in his directions. Now, I don't know about you. A lot of the times I've done things like that, 
and things don't go the way I want, and then I want God to bless it, but that still small voice says, you didn't wait for me. You did it your way. You didn't wait. Now, maybe wherever you're at, you're praying for something in your life or, or some restoration, and my question to you is, can you wait? Because an ineffective faith is not trusting God to perform, so we try to do it ourselves. And we know that doesn't get us anywhere, right? Now, if you would turn with me over to Exodus 14, verses 1 through 13. This is another example of ineffective faith that we've seen. When the Israelites were, were taken out of Egypt, they were, they were free from the bondage and the slavery that they were in. They watched God do wonderful things. In other words, in the New Testament, it could be they've tasted and known that the Lord is good. God had fulfilled his promises to them. He's delivered them, but yet it gets a little hard, and so they start to doubt whether or not he'll come through again. And so one of the things that happens is they begin to not trust God. And that was these repeated experiences. And think about the blessing that it is that we get to look at the scripture and see how many times God and his patience dealt with them. Over and over again, he would do something and then they would question it. Whether or not he would be faithful. All the way to the manna, to the, to, to the mist that God had, had brought to provide for them. They just eventually got tired of his provision the way it was. And they complained and they murmured. And they just, how many of you know complaining is a bad thing? It begins to eventually wear away at your soul. And here these folks saw God move. He's provided for them. He gave them deliverance. And time and time again, they looked unto themselves. And then not only that, they looked at Moses and blamed him. A lot of blame shifting happens when we begin to complain, right? It's everybody else's problem, and that's why I'm where I'm at. Do we live in a society where it's always someone else's problem? They did this to me. I'm in this place because of circumstances. I'm a victim of where I'm at. Instead of looking beyond that, they just can't get past themselves. You know the sad thing? There's a lot of people who go through their whole life, and they're stagnant, and they never move. And they might even know a lot about Scripture. They might know the Word of God. They can even quote it, but they don't live it. They don't experience it, and they don't walk in it. You can know the Word, but not allow it to change you. It's that personal encounter with Jesus Christ that makes all the difference, amen? We learn that from the Pharisees and Sadducees. These people knew the word better than anyone in here, but they didn't know him. They couldn't recognize the Savior because they couldn't get past themselves. And so here we have this example in Exodus. And what, is, what, what takes place here is, as they were free, we already talked about this even in Romans, God had hardened or allowed Pharaoh's heart to be hardened and after they were let go, after all the plagues and everything, they're let go. He's like, hey, wait a second. We can't let them go. We want them to be our servants still. So he pursues them. God allows this because he wants to take the Israelites to a place of absolute desperation where there's nothing else other than the almighty miracle of God that delivers them. And they see it. And they witness it. And so Moses, it says in verses 20, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, he looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out, out of Egypt? In other words, they had already forgotten how miserable their life was in their past 
And once they got under pressure and they, instead of trusting that God got them out of there the first time that he could do it again, they instantly look at the leader and go, what have you done to us? Why have you done this to us? Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's probably easier said than done when a whole army is approaching to take you out. And you can't go left and you can't go right. You're in the middle of a canyon. If you actually look at the geography of the place, they were literally walls on both sides brought into an area where they were trapped on a beach. And it was at this place that God brought them before Moses parted the waters. God brought them right there to where there was no hope and then opened a way for them. That's just amazing to me that even though they were complaining, even though they were yelling at Moses and blaming him, even though they were, they were I mean, think about it. It would be hard for me. You, you, know, you see those movies where there's always the one complaining person over and over again. And you're like, maybe underneath your breath, you're like, I hope he's the first one to go. Right? Because they're just like, oh, just stop already. Just this constant negativity. Thank God that God's not like that with us. Because we'd all be wiped out, wouldn't we? God in his faithfulness is patient, long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why, God, we are in this state of grace and mercy where people have an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit working on their life for them in an individual relationship with him. And we see it even right here. Why are you crying out to me? The Lord says to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on, raise your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through to the ground ahead. That's just a, an awesome example of God's faithfulness. So an ineffective faith lacks trust in God, often time and time again. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verses 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to paraphrase some of this for time, but it's, these are for your notes. When John the Baptist was preaching, prepare the way of the Lord out in the desert, and he was baptizing, this is important to take note of. In verse 7 it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Now let me just break that down for you. In other words, when he came to them, the Pharisees and Sadducees were given, they were the religious leaders of the time. They were given the responsibility, but they weren't doing a good job with it. In fact, they, could, they would lord their gifts over other people. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the very power that changes their character to be a good, wholesome person serving the Lord and serving others. They served themselves. Would you think in America some places do that today? Where people are really good at pretending to be Christians and saying Christian things, but it really comes down to it, it's just words. They know a lot of words, a lot of talk. We can do that sometimes. We can get caught into this place where it's 
easier to just be formed than it is to be changed. We, we like to compartmentalize things and say, hey, I'm doing this, this, and this. But a changed life, a true life of someone following the Lord to experience that peace in the midst of trials and adversity, you have to know him. I mean, even Jesus said there'll be many people that will say, hey, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. I'm not saying that to scare any of us. It's because we need to know him. What does that mean intimately by you trusting you seeking him. As you study the word, you begin to see your heart and your motivations. You get to see, and as he begins to speak to you, the more you respond, the more you see, the more you hear. The more you're faithful in the little, the more he gives. I mean, we see it all throughout scripture. It's the, the religious is like, hey, we're going to do it our way. And a lot of the times they just leave a mess. There's a lot of people that have a wrong representation of Christianity because they ran into people that know a lot about words and know how to use those words and twist them and not even meaning that, they, I don't think they intentionally mean to twist it, but they don't know him, so they're giving a wrong representation. When I worked at Costco in Novato during Christmas time, and just to break it down, that was at that time was the one, pretty much one of the wealthiest places in the United States. That was not me. I went to Bible college there, and I remember at Christmas time I was a cashier, and it, I've never seen grown adults act more like children. I mean, taking shopping carts from old people. Everyone's entitled. Everyone should be first. In the tire shop, people would come and want to tip me to put them above someone else, and if you didn't take their tip, oh my, they would be angry and upset. And I remember in the line hearing people talk about Christians. And I remember people saying they're Christians and not acting like Christians. And I felt like the Lord showed me, see, people are watching all the time. Now, given people are going to make and have their own battle in their life, with the, sometimes people might not like you because the Holy Spirit's working in you and you haven't even said anything to them. That's nothing to do with you. But I'm talking about those who have a form of, hey, I do this and they lord, but they're selfish and they're self-centered. All they do is talk about themselves all the time. They don't even care about anyone else outside of themselves. Have you ever, you, you following what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that people don't have something going on in their life, but I'm telling you in my own personal life, a lot of the times that God began to heal me is when I stopped thinking about me as much and started thinking about others. And you go, well, that's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do. Because I'm trusting that God sees where I'm at and can get me through it. And in the midst of that, I'm gonna think about someone else. And it could be just sending a, a, a card or saying hello or actually asking how they're doing and meaning it. And I say that because there's a lot of people who say they're Christians in words, but there's no actions. Just as he said to these Pharisees, he says, oh, you know, what does he say clearly? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, repentance means turn. You're supposed to have fruit in your life if you say you're a Christian. There should be something different about you. Now, you're not gonna be perfect, in the sense of, you know, never making mistakes. But you're not aiming to make mistakes under the, the gloak of, hey, I got grace and mercy. You want to grow in Christ, and you're going to have fruit in your life. And people will notice it when you don't get worked up about the things of the world because you know God's in control and holds the world. And people will see that in you, and they'll ask you, how? Where do you put your faith? And it says everyone in this room, including me, should be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. Amen? You're not above it. You can't, well, that's not my calling. 
to tell. You are to be a light in the world. And if you're not a light in the world, then what are you? I'm not saying, I mean, we have moments where we do great. And then we have moments where we come down and we have, we're trying to go up and down. We're, we're working and we're, we're doing things. But you know what? The most important thing is I believe God cares more about our character than our comfort. And he cares more about changing us so that our lives glorify and reflect him more than what we think or want. And I also believe God knows what you want and he knows what you need. And he gives you and blesses you with those things out of his grace and his mercy it's not a fast track. It's a, he's going to, if you're going to be over here, he's going to work you through the things that he needs to work through to better you as a person, but mostly to glorify him with your life. People want relationships better. No, they want their spouse changed and they don't want to look in the mirror. That's the problem most of the time. It's always someone else's fault, right? If you really want a better marriage, if you're having a struggle in your marriage, or relationship with a family member, however, however it is, ask how God can change you first before you ask him to change them. Does that make sense? Right? These people were really good. They looked so religious if they came in here and it was a dress show, we would lose. I mean, everything they had was to show off how spiritual they were. You know, you can put, that's why I personally do not put Christian stickers on my car because I don't always have the character to drive well. I really try, but I guarantee you the one time I don't, it'll be one of you or someone else, and that's what you're gonna remember. Pastor Sean cut me off, and I think he was screaming. I, have you ever done that, drove in here, and you were like having a little car battle with someone, and you find out they're pulling into church? I have, right? And then you're both like, ooh, that awkward silence, right? Ineffective faith is simply lip service. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4.19. 1 Corinthians 4.19. Now, those are some ineffective faith, but now there's also, what about the times when we have weak faith? Weak faith, where you have some, but just doesn't seem like you have enough, right? So Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, a little background for you. He's writing this because he had planted this church, the picture, you planted a church, and then you leave, and you're going on a missionary journey, and you're planting churches all over, but... A lot of people know also that you were a persecutor of Christians. And then, not to mention, you are in a very pagan society where a lot of pagans are coming to Christ. And you know what? They're kind of like, hey, I, I want to add Jesus to my portfolio of gods I believe in. And they're like, I want to still practice some paganism and still say I'm a Christian. That was actually happening. They were like, hey, you know, there was a lot of polytheistic type. They believed in many gods. And then here's... No, there's one true God. Monotheism, there's one true God. It's Jesus, right? They had had this encounter. Well, now Paul's gone, and since he's gone, he's planted this church. There's leaders, and now there's all this conflict. You're having all kinds of church problems. People were coming in and saying things and saying, they're even making fake letters that Paul had written that he didn't write, and they're basically putting Paul down while he's not there, 
And so he's writing this to encourage that church in that moment. But what's interesting is he says this in verses uh, 4, verses 18. Some of you have become arrogant as if you were not coming, as if I was not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit? In other words, people are saying, he's not an apostle. Don't listen to him. He planted this church. It's grown tremendously. And you have these people coming and attacking him and his character. And he's coming and he's trying to encourage. That's why these letters were written, is to deal with problems in the church. And as he's written this, he says, it's not by word, it's by power and demonstration. He even says in another place, I don't come to you with man's wisdom, but with power, dunamis, power, demonstration. In other words, his life, his character, things begin to change. He has fruit. Amen? That's the hard thing with stuff on TV. You're not close enough to people to know if there's really any fruit in it. Right? So keep that in mind. So there's this weak faith. So what do we do when our faith, our weak, our faith can be weak? What can we do when we struggle? Turn to me with me to Matthew chapter 14, verses 28. Matthew 14, verses 28. Are you guys bearing with me? Matthew 14, verses 28. Here's another spot that happens. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, actually go to 14 verses 22, Jesus walks on water. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. This is after this big miraculous thing had taken place. And after he had dismissed them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already considerable distance from the land. Buffeted by the, the waves because of the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water and come, he said. Now think about this. What I like about Peter is he's very impetuous. He doesn't always think before he speaks. And here he's like, hey, I'll be the one. I'm going to come out. If it's really you, Jesus, ask me to come and I'll be right there. He's also the one that says, I will never deny you, Lord. And what did he do? He denied the Lord. Not only that, he was holding his hands by a fire and he cursed out a, a girl that says, you're with him, you're one of them. And he says, no, I was not. He, he so far denied the Lord, it was crazy. But yet Jesus in his compassion says to him, do you love me, Peter, three times, right? And at the end he says, feed my sheep. In other words, we all will go through these moments of doubt and struggle. But look at what happens here when he says, Jesus, if it's you, ask him and I'll come out there. He does, he comes. Jesus, think about the step of faith that he took. He did something that none of the other disciples were going to do. He gets out of the boat, and I don't know about you, but the waves were big. And they see him, and the first thing they're thinking, you just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people, and you're already thinking if it's a ghost on the water. And then you're afraid. What does that tell you about us today? 
Can God do something miraculous in your life one moment and then the next week you could doubt whether or not he even loves you? You see, faith in stuff, in our life, it's something we cultivate. It's something that you work on daily. And as you grow your testimonies and the things that God does in your life, you begin to have a, a foundation. Faith is a gift that God gives us, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not of ourselves. So even a small mustard seed, it's not even about the size of your faith. It's the genuineness of it. As small as a mustard seed, God can start and use the littlest thing. So when you respond to those things in your heart, and you're like, God, I'm struggling whether you are a God of love. Show me your love. Show me how to study the scriptures. Open it to me. Let me understand. Even in another spot where the disciples, and I thought this was interesting, they said, hey, we have lack of faith. How do we get more faith? And you know what it was about? Because Jesus told them they need to forgive 70 times 7. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means you keep forgiving. Well, what do you mean? Now, as I've talked about before, forgiveness doesn't mean you allow someone that's going to hurt you or your family into your life. Forgiveness is giving that person to God so you no longer have resentment and hate towards them. And God, over time, can change your heart and give you grace and mercy. And in that experience, you grow in Christ. And so what does he says to the disciples? Forgive them 70 times. And you know what they say? Well, we need faith. Give us faith. How do we get it? See, and that's where he even says faith is a mustard seed. That's where that part is. Faith is a mustard seed. Something small you could say to this mountain move. And you know what? Unforgiveness is a mountain in a lot of people's lives. Not trusting anyone. Basing all your future relationships off your bad past ones. Not giving anyone a chance. Not allowing God to heal you. That's what happens when we do that. When we put ourselves in a place of, of isolation. So after all of this, Peter walks on water. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus, but then he saw the wind. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out in his hand and caught him. You of little faith. Now I'd be like, wait a second. I just got off a boat in a storm, walked on water for a little bit, and he says, you of little faith. And this is what he says. Why did you doubt? And then, as he said he doubt, you know what happened is Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. And he looked at his circumstances instead of the Father, instead of God. He looked at all of the problems and focused on that instead of who God is. Amen. Do you know that God equips us, enables us? changes us, restores us, and heals us when we choose to give our life to him for his glory. And what I mean by that is we say, God, I want to live for you, however that is. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Because then you get, to, you get to go places you couldn't get on your own because God will bring you there. Because it's about him. Amen? I mean, I'm telling you, I can say it until I'm blue in the face. If you want to experience God, it's outside of ourselves in the sense of God, what can I do? I want to know you. Some of us are in different stages in our walk. Some of you don't even have faith. Think about it. It's hard to believe that God is a God of love when we look at the world. But it isn't when we look at Jesus. When we look at what he's done. Amen? And what he's doing. What he's currently doing. So immediately Jesus grabbed him. And they, when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped and saying, truly, you are the son of God. It makes you think, wait, who was he when he fed the 5,000? 
Was he not? Doesn't that show you how fickle we can be? People go, well, why did they struggle? Because the carnal mind is an enmity with God. Our natural mind will never accept the things of God. I don't care if you watched my arm grow out right in front of you. You will doubt a week later. Because we can't accept those things. Our flesh fights against us. But when we trust God and we, we give our life to him, we begin to trust him. And you know what? We don't always get to see where he's taking us, but we're willing to wait and learn. Amen? There's a lot of truth in that. There's Even the guy who, when his son was demon-possessed, I mentioned that last week, and the, the guy was arguing with the disciples, and he, and the, he said, hey, what are you arguing about? He's like, well, we, this, this person we couldn't heal. These things couldn't take place. And, and Jesus says to him, to the man, he's like, like, well, if you can, he says to Jesus, the, the father of the son, if you can, um, and, or Jesus said that to him, if you can, because that's what the father said, well, if you can do it, will you? And Jesus said, if I can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. See, the smallest amount of faith and trust, he knew that, hey, I can get right here, but I need help getting here. We can't have the faith that we need apart from God, amen? It's a gift that God gives us, and when we put ourselves in a position to receive, we can ask him to increase our faith. And how do we get faith? What does the Bible say about faith in Hebrews? How do we get faith? I say it all the time. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, amen? So turn with me to Hebrews 11 before we get ready for communion. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered uh, God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, we have commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of these offerings and by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. In other words, this is the heroes of faith. It's something good for you to read. But if you go to verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you know that God rewards us when we earnestly seek him? Amen? No amen? Do you, doesn't sound like you guys believe God rewards you when you earnestly seek him. What does that look like? Does that mean you're not going to have a trial? No, we're, we're going to have trials. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a fallen world. There are trials. The most important thing is who you are and who you're going to allow God, how you're going to allow God to work in your life so that you can grow. Amen? Any questions? That's really scary to ask, <laughs> by the way. Think about it. I mean... We all go through these moments, but who do we cling to? Who do you call out to? Amen? Jesus. And he's faithful. He watches over his word. I, I say these things because it's true. He watches over his word to perform it. He knows where you are, where I am. In Romans 5, chapter 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace 
in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Amen? Would you get ready to stand with me, please, as we get ready for communion? The hope that we have in, in Jesus and in him in our life, it starts with you just and me. What I do is, like, God, what do you want to work on in my life this week? What is something that I've been hesitant? I let you clean the whole house. Which closet am I keeping closed? Lord, work on me. And how many of you know, have you prayed that and he does it? Right? You pray for patience, everything slows down. Right? You pray for mercy and grace, you'll be tried whether or not you can give it. I mean, for me, that's how we experience God in, in, a, in a real way. Not a religious way, a real way. And when we get in a place that we feel like and the devil's got you down and he's telling you, all the things that you're not, you go, you know what, that's right, but I have Jesus. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creature. I'm a new person. And you say it. You keep saying it. And you allow the word to renew your mind. That's why it says we need a new mind, because our minds are broken. Did you know that? You can't think correctly. We will repeat the same thing over and over again, same mistakes. But when we have the word of God, we begin to think different. We begin to think clearly. We can see the world the way it is. We won't get disappointed because we don't put our hope in the wrong things. We hope in him. And that's what we have right in front of us is the, the memory of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. That's why we take communion on the second Sunday of every month. And again, don't feel pressured to take communion. If you have someone that you need to ask forgiveness, it says, hey, put your gifts on the altar before you take communion. In other words, don't come up here in a religious act. Do it if it's on your heart to do so. Whatever sins, God, or whatever things you're holding on to, resentment, anger, whatever it is, you can say, God, I give this to you. Take communion. Use it in a, in a respectful way. Don't feel like just because everyone's doing it, you've got to do it. But if there's a time that this is an opportunity where we say, thank you, Jesus, and we remember what he's done for us, and we're not worthy, but he did it for his love for us, amen? So as the ushers and elders come forward. When you feel led, go ahead and come up and take communion. We'll take it together. Thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord God, that you are here. Your presence is here when two or more are gathered. So, Father, as we come before you, we honor you in this time and in this moment. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, for this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. I thank you that, Father God, you are doing a work in the hearts of everyone here, wherever they are spiritually, Lord God, whatever struggle that they are in, or Lord, if they are in a place of just 
being overwhelmed by your love. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, Lord, you have given us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us. Lord, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing. Help us be sensitive to your spirit, Lord God, as we go about this week and help us know that, Father, we are to bear fruit in this community. We are to help those that are in need. We are to, to be an example. Lord, I ask that everyone in this room would have an encounter this week in a way that they would know that you are calling them to show the love of Christ, to be an example, Lord God, not for religious means, but to truly share the love that we've experienced from you. And all God's people said, amen. May you go and be a blessing. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you.